Hey guys, Bear Grylls here, just to say, super excited for Charles Thorpe's podcast coming soon. You guys are going to love this. What a great guy he is and so many great stories. So enjoy these and remember, above all, never give up. Now, I personally believe that there's nothing better than a great adventure, whether it's to another country or into the backyard. It can have an amazing ability to change not just the way that we see the world, but also the way that we see ourselves. That is exactly what you're going to hear about from our incredible guests. On Great Adventures, I'm going to be hanging out with actors, athletes, thought leaders, and of course explorers, some old friends, and some new, to discuss how being adventurous benefited their lives. My name is Charles Thorpe. For over a decade, I've been chasing down epic stories professionally from magazines and television shows, and now I'm bringing those conversations here. It takes more than laws to protect endangered animals from poachers and dealers. It also takes action and actionable intelligence. Andrea Crosta has traveled the world protecting wildlife from the bad guys. And he's had some great adventures. Check it out. Shadows, the film that you're a part of, you did with director Richard Lacani, the locations that you had to go for this, I think is really what spurs the drama and spurs the moment and spurs the story on. I want to get right into it, how you came into play in the places that you wanted to start your work, you know, your right. very special intelligence work that you do. Uh, we were already working, I think, for, for a, at least a year on this whole Vaquita, Totoa by illegal fishing, organized crime, narco trafficking, right. maf- mafia, whatever in Mexico and China for a year at least, and I, th- and I thought it was a great, I mean, not just a great idea for another documentary, but mm. I mean it was something you know we needed to do something, and our work in the field without the power of the media was not enough, right? And uh, but not every filmmaker can work with us. You know, we do pretty edgy stuff. Um, uh, we need to trust them. We need to know that it's uh, you know it's kind of filmmaker that when I tell you not this one, you cannot you cannot be with us or right. you cannot you film, can't film this. Yeah. Then they they are respectful and they do it. So it was the perfect. So I approached him and the production company Terra Matter Factory Studio in Vienna. Said, I think think about it. And uh, of course, it's the opposite of the Ivory Game. So with the Ivory Game, everyone knows elephants and ivory and the whole story behind we, in this case nobody knows there is this fish called totoaba is a big bass basically very big bass um, this fish has a swim bladder and this swim bladder is uh, you know it's it's a delicatessen it's really really um, expensive in china for the traditional sort of chinese traditional medicine um, just to give you an idea in mexico uh, at at fisherman level, it's about five thousand dollars a piece, and then in China is it's resold to twenty five, thirty, fifty. We film Totoaba swim bladders at hundred thousand dollars a piece. Wow! So the profits are incredible. Uh, they use to catch this fish. Uh, they use a very strong uh, nets, like killing machines, and they kill everything. Uh, every marine life, I mean everything, including the vaquita. And the vaquita is the rarest and smallest uh, porpoise. It's a small whale in the world. Just uh, maybe less than 15 are left in the whole Sea of Cortez. 
and they die as a bycatch. So they, you know, it's, they get trapped in the in the nets and they die. And this fishing is illegal now, right? Yeah. It became illegal uh, a Every, while back. And everything is illegal. Uh, the, the fishing, the trafficking, of course, everything is illegal. But because it's so profitable, uh, it attracted the attention of former and current narco traffickers in Mexico and the Chinese mafia, and they team up together. They form what we call Totoaba cartels, and they and now the whole area of the Sea of Cortez is in the hands of these cartels they're making millions of dollars exploiting also the fishermen everyone is angry with the fishermen but you can imagine of the temptation right these fishermen usually make 500 bucks per month fishing shrimps and all of a sudden one fish is 5000 bucks so it's easy to hate you know the or, or throw your your attention your hate at these fishermen who are you know shredding the sea life when you watch the documentary you see them pull these nets up and like you said it just eviscerates i mean it's it's really sad to watch, and when yeah. people see Sea of Shadows, the film that we're talking about, um, they'll they'll know what I'm talking about. But again, these people are trying to feed their families, and in exactly. comparison to what their the rest of their fishing does, I mean, I'm imagining they're making how much more than they usually do a year when they're Absolutely. fishing for. Tokyo Imagine Obama. you are you are poor. You have maybe a family of ten waiting for you at home, and they ask you to and they they give you five thousand dollars not to kill a person to fish a fish and you are a fisherman so the temptation is big yeah and uh, and yet everyone and we see you know our organization earthling international we work on jaguar trafficking in latin america rhino horn trafficking in south in southern africa and wildlife trafficking in southeast asia we see this situation everywhere everyone hates the poacher the small fish right the small person you need a villain and this is the perfect villain right but they're not the real drivers they're not the real enablers so that's why with our work we always you know go up the supply chain until we meet and hopefully hit you know the real guy behind the whole thing I think that's a really important part of this documentary. Obviously, it has the boots on the ground. It's got the militarization that's you know Terrible. taking part against the fishermen, which is a, a really dramatic scene, but also your scenes. And how do you guys first start the process of gathering intelligence in that area and so, seeing who's buying this fish? It, so first of all, um, it's... It's, it starts with our mindset, okay? So when I establish my organization, uh, what I, I, I have a mixed background in conservation, wildlife protection, but also security, intelligence, investigation, and technology. So when I um, establish my organization, I basically merge those two uh, professional careers. And what I had in mind is I was asking myself, why we use intelligence to fight all major global threats, you know, we fight intelligence, we, we fight terrorism and narco-trafficking and weapons of mass destruction, organized crime. Intelligence is, is at the heart of our strategy to fight back. When we get to environmental crime, no intelligence, mm. zero. A little bit of investigation, a lot of anti-poaching, a lot of awareness campaigns. We're talking about the fourth largest, uh, you know, criminal endeavor on the planet, so $290 billion per year. So. I, the, my idea was, okay, let's try to create a, a sort of small intelligence agency for the planet and work in the same way. So that's why I start recruiting uh, former FBI and former intelligence officers and crime analysts. And, 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 and we, wherever we go, including in Mexico, the approach is the same. So we, we act as a small intelligence agency. We have uh, 
undercover operatives working on the ground. Nobody knows they're there. I call them uh, my ghost because nobody, even inside our organization, not everyone knows uh, their identity, and it, sh- and it, sh- and it should stay like this. I'm obsessed with, with security, of course. Well, yeah. And their work is to create a network of informants and, and sources and to recruit people. Uh, we harvest information 24-7 from all kinds of sources. And then back home, we have a great group of young, uh, smart uh, uh, analysts, crime analysts, that help us to build the puzzle because sometimes it's really complicated you know you have to imagine i have at the same time a team of undercover uh asian from taiwan from china pretending to be traffickers and buyers themselves recording with uh, using hidden cameras and hidden audio device so they come back home with hours and hours and hours of conversation in chinese with the traffickers at the same time i have maybe a team uh, in spanish speaking team so uh, then we, we have a great cyber team uh, based in France. They do a lot of work in the deep web and, you know, and open sources. So at the end, the amount of information is incredible. Right. And so we, again, we put together all the pieces until we, we feel confident that we understand exactly who does what. Uh, and that is a very important moment because you finally started to see the whole supply chain, how, you know, who is buying, who, for, for why and how and where. You know, you have all the important answers, all important questions answered. And this is why a big, big part of our work is to share confidential intelligence briefs with law enforcement. Uh, at the moment, we are sharing information with at least 12 uh, government agencies around the world. They receive from us um, really well done confidential intelligence briefs uh, with incredible amount of information plus undercover video undercover audio names telephone numbers emails addresses everything these documentaries do such a great job of it has that thriller element it's got that born identity element to it where you you're feeling this tension this palpable tension uh, of the moments that you guys are putting yourselves in where you're gathering this intelligence are you feeling that tension in that moment as well yes because you know you always you know, first of all, you know, you in the film, you see these moments, you, you maybe don't understand that it took months to get to that meeting. It's not that easy. Right. Uh, you, you, yeah. you work for yeah, months. You don't land five minutes no. later. And you're, then okay. you make a phone call. Hey, yeah. can I meet? No, it's not can like I that. Can I buy some illegal fish <laughs> from the cartel leader? Yeah. It's, it takes months to get their trust. First, you, you know, all the undercover um, operatives have uh, a legend, have a, you know, like a, sort of a fake profile. They, they pretend to be businessmen or other people, so maybe they meet several times without even mentioning you know, the real thing. Uh, they discuss business until they get their trust. And once they get their trust, then they finally start exchanging. It's, it's funny because when, when you get the trust from these people, they, you, you don't have to ask anymore. They usually tell you everything. I have this, I have that, or you want this, you want that. So it's, uh, but, but of course, um, as you, if you watch the Ivory game or you know, on Netflix, you see uh, sometimes you know, shit hit the fan and, and, and thing, you know, you, they, 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 you're always afraid that they maybe notice something wrong in, in you, that they see that you have a hidden camera. So for example, we, are, uh, we use now really cool technology to record. This How small people. are these cameras, would you say? I, I cannot tell you exactly what we use. Because I like it's that. Okay, the, great. The greatest. Uh, that was a test. That was just a test <laughs> to make sure you were going to give up the goods. No, it's really cool stuff. It's basically impossible to, we're not talking about wires anymore, first of all. So it's, uh, 
it's cool stuff and uh, it's custom made so it's um, but, and that decre- decreases a lot the you know the, the risk the risk um, how are you feeling as an operational leader you know again these are your people these are people that like you said before you might be one of the few that knows their actual yeah, identity yeah. when somebody on your staff is going into a situation like that how are you feeling in the are you in the car are you back at HQ I mean sometimes I'm in the car yeah. sometimes around because you know it's a, when in, you know maybe you have multiple teams in the, and it's the first time they meet each other so you want to be there sometimes I'm back at I mean I'm based in, uh, in California so I, sometimes I'm there uh, I mean, right now, as we speak, I have uh, one undercover team operating in uh, uh, in Latin America and one in South Africa. So I'm getting emails and stuff from them. So I'm always, whatever I'm doing... Of course, even it's a part of your mind, yeah. My, part of my mind is, is with my people on the ground, and I have to be there. That's why I... I that's why my social life really yeah. <laughs> is non-existent, because I'm always... and You cannot... You cannot not be available to these people. They are risking their life for you, and so there is no weekend. There is no. There's yeah. Just, there's no such a thing, you know. How long were you on the ground in Mexico during you know the filming of this documentary, Sea of Shadows, and the concurrent operation? Uh, so, for the whole operation, Operation Fake Gold, we were on the ground for about two years. Uh, for the film, uh, about ten months, on and off. Um, of course, when when we decide to to partner with the media partner, of course, with the media company, we it's a trade-off, right? You have to take some more risk, right? Uh, usually, we are really ghosts, you know. We nobody knows we are there, uh, but with you know with the serious film crew, that it's difficult. So, for example, for this film, I made a decision, okay, to divide the team in, in split in two, mm. uh, three of us. We're on camera, and you can see us in, in the film, and the other five, six, uh, not at all. Right. You don't see them in the film. You don't know who they are. They were doing a great job while we were there. Mm. Uh, actually, we got to a point in Mexico where it was so evident that I was attached to this film crew that I, that I had to invent a, a legend for myself. So I'm Italian, so I decided that I was an Italian journalist writing about fishing. I even had uh, a fishing magazine, a real Italian fishing magazine with me. So, and that part, you know, funny enough, they made things so easy. I really? Mean, all of a sudden, they wanted to talk to me. And oh, wow. So you see me in the field talking with people, and the reason is because they wanted to, you know, they're fishermen, they want see to their share their the product. Exactly. Yeah. So sometimes you have to be, you know, hide in plain sight, you know, okay, right. let's, let's become something else. It's easier than try to hide uh, because it's, you know, we, we had the five, six, uh, uh, security guards all the time for t- mostly to protect the crew, the film crew. Right. Uh, the production company, I think, spent a fortune just in security. I'm sure. Um, I'd love for you to explain some of those human interactions you had with the fishermen. The way we work is we study and research the entire supply chain from the to the you know origin, transit, and destination. So we need to start it from to start from the fishermen. But then when you when you meet them, when you go to their home, you understand that they are. Despite the money they are making, they are still poor. Uh, so you understand immediately they are not the drivers. You know, one net to fish this fish. The net itself is four or five thousand dollars. So the fishermen start by just by asking money to the traffickers just to buy the net. So they just to begin with, they are immediately in debt with them. Yeah, uh, they're in debt uh, with the cartels immediately. Uh, yeah. So it start like this. So they are stuck with them, and. Um, and you understand that is, you know, we have our, 
same it happens when, when you know when you look at poaching in Africa. We from here, from New York, from Los Angeles, from Europe, we we it's easy for us to judge, you know, to point the finger. Oh, why they don't do something else? Why they don't you know get a normal job? Right. And then you go there and you realize that is to begin with is lawless. So the whole area is in the hands of uh, cartels or criminals. The police is paid. Uh, it's not easy to live there. Yeah. We mentioned a little bit about those investigations that you're doing and capturing the, the buyers and the sellers on camera. How do you feel when somebody comes back with exactly what you guys have been working for for months and months and months? It has a successful operation. How do you guys feel? And, it's a feeling yeah. that I cannot uh, describe. I don't know. I don't know if I can say it in, on, on radio. It's better than sex. I mean, it's like, it's wow. This is the reason why we do what we do. We already envision, immediately I envision the public report, but also the confidential brief for law enforcement, the way we can in concrete help uh, with, because our role as a sort of a small intelligence agency at the end of the day is bring back home facts. Right. We don't deal with rumors. We don't deal with I feelings. Hear, no, no feelings, yeah. no ethics, nothing. We want facts. We talk about crime. And this is the most effective way to hold accountable governments for what they do or don't do with facts supported by evidence. So when you finally get it, first of all, you feel so proud for, you know, for your team, but it's, 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 it justifies the whole, the risk and the, yeah. and everything. And then, you know, lastly, now I've been able to see the film a few times at the Sun Valley Film Festival and here in New York and, and then seeing that same moment play out on a big screen and seeing people realize who maybe the real villain is. Exactly. How does that feel for you being in those, in those theaters? And- exactly. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't know. It's funny. I, I tell my team uh, all the time, we should work, we should consider those, you know, we can work for the vaquita, for the marine life in Sea Cortez, we can work for the rhinos or the jaguar, the forest. These for us are clients. They should be treated as clients. And when you need a good lawyer, really need a good lawyer, right? You know, with the, you know, a shark, <laughs> the same. So I always... Uh, I, wherever I, I am, also in a, you know in, tonight, in a, it will be in this beautiful theater for the for the premiere. I feel that I'll be there representing my clients, so I have to be there on their behalf to speak their voice. And it's um, and when the audience, the people, finally understand something different, something new, and they understand, they have a better understanding of the situation. I feel that my client is, in a way, vindicated. You know, it's, it, 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 it's, it's better for my client, right? Because there are more chances to finally help him. There's nothing more dangerous in a situation like this, environmental crime, to oversimplify something that is not simple. Because that's a huge danger. Then you do the wrong things. You hit the wrong spot. And, and I understand that the media and the, you know, Sometimes big NGOs have to deal with the big public, so they have to simplify things, but it doesn't help. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my role is to explain the complexity of the situation and then explain you also how to deal with it. There is a connection that you have with wildlife, the way that you feel about them. Can you take us to a place in the world that you've been, that you had an engagement with, a, with an animal or, or a travel has really changed the way that you felt and, and really spurred you on in this pursuit? 
I was born with like this. I mean, since I remember my even my family remembers that you know when I already when I was six seven years old I wanted to do the Ranger in Africa. So that was my first uh, really six thing. years old. Yeah. Then I moved to Ranger in Canada because I like the national parks over there. So that I was born like this. Uh, I did an incredible trip uh, when I was uh, 17 to the Salto Angel, you know, in the Venezuelan Amazonas. And over there, you, I think I realized how nature was important for me and how, how strong was this feeling that my destiny was to protect it. You know, I, I'm, I'm here and, and the, the, it's... The desire to protect nature in me is actually stronger than, for example, the desire to have a family. It's, it's the way, is the reason why I'm here, and I cannot not do it. Mm. Um, and then six years ago, and that was the trigger to establish my organization, I was in Kenya and I was working, I was, my previous job was, you know, I was dealing with consultancy to, to high profile people and, and African politicians on security matter was a very complicated, you know, it's too, too, too you long. You don't want to get into it too no, much. No, 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 exactly. Yeah. And I was in Kenya for a client and I went out with the rangers on my free time and I, and I witnessed a poaching incident with, with, uh, with, that, with elephants. So there was this elephants killed with a baby and I saw the knowledge gap you know i saw the rangers and they were sorry of course and it was tragic but i saw i i saw with my eyes how much we didn't know we were all overly obsessed with poaching and rangers and poachers but actually i felt not the, the war is somewhere else is not here the people who's actually placing the order for the ivories maybe is even in southeast asia not even in africa so i said okay let's merge my two professional careers into one organization, one charity, um, and see if I can contribute in a different way. How did that feel to live out that childhood passion and then become a part of the, the Ivory game, which you know, Richard Lacani co-directed with Keith Davidson, and yeah. you became an integral part of that storytelling? How deep were you in the operation at that point once that documentary started? We were pretty, well, we were in the middle of our um, transnational investigation on uh, ivory trafficking from Africa to China. Actually, we shot a lot in Africa as well for the documentary, just didn't make the cut. We, at the end, we just have the Asian Chinese apart, uh, Hong Kong and Vietnam. Um, in the ivory game, you see us riding, you know, in the heart of China, in Beijing, dealing with traffickers. Uh, and uh, we, our undercover teams did, did, did such a great job. You know, we had full trust. They show us everything for basically in that meeting for six hours. They show us all kind of illegal stuff. Rhino horn, ivory, pangolins, tiger parts, everything. Uh, it just guts you watching it. It's really, I mean, you guys it, it's, did was, really great work was exposing in, that. Incredible. And we share everything with the Chinese authorities. We know that they took some action, we are not sure exactly what they did, but we, you know, we share also with Chinese authorities. We, we are never confrontational with government. We want to be seen as assets, but we retain our integrity and independence. That's why we don't take money from governments. You know, our clients are, again, it's, mm. it's, the, it's nature, it's the planet, so uh, we report back to them. And uh, so it's very important for us. Have you been able to go back to Africa and have more experiences with elephants after the film came out? And Not very much. Unfortunately, no. I need someone to invite me. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> we should be able to get you out there somehow. <laughs> Thank you.
I'd like to welcome a new partner to this endeavor, Haidus Tequila. Haidus means to pause or break a sequence, which I believe is a great message. I'd always been a bourbon or whiskey guy until recently I started dabbling with tequila, especially in the summer. I met the founder of Haidus, who is a fascinating guy and has done his due diligence in Mexico. Check them out on Instagram at Haidus Tequila. Last time you were here in New York City, we, we had a conversation. You were talking about, and you just mentioned it a little bit earlier, the Jaguars and the situation yeah. that's going on there. Can you explain that a little bit? Obviously, you can't get into the yeah. details of the investigation itself, but yeah. maybe just the issue that's going on there. Uh, it's, an, it's an important emerging issue in all over Latin America, Central and Latin America. Basically, they are poaching and Jaguars all over the places, and, and then they are trafficking Jaguar parts, mostly bones and fangs and paws, for the Chinese market, uh, curiously enough, to be sold as Tiger, not as Jaguar. Right, they're not even being sold as, as Jaguar. Uh, because yeah. unfortunately for the Jaguar, it's the only big cat which is that is big enough to pass as Tiger. I can show you pictures of Tiger fangs, you know, teeth, and Jaguar fangs, and they're basically the same. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, they buy maybe four, you know, four fangs in, in, I don't know, in Peru, Bolivia, Suriname, Guyana for $400 and they, reso- they resell it for maybe 5000 So it's the profits is incredible. And again, it's about the Chinese community in, in those countries uh, placing orders. Uh, the money is too good to say no to the, you know, the locals are, you know, the temptation is huge. So we are, we have been working for a year and will be working for at least three years in collaboration with the IUCN Netherlands, uh, who is actually funding this work. Um, it's actually a great alliance. We, we act as a real intelligence agency. Our role is to provide evidence and facts. And then role is to engage the government, the various governments. Hey, listen, this is the situation. Let's work together to to change it if possible. Yeah. Have you been able to visit Latin America at all and see yeah, the situation? Several and times. Yeah, yeah. How are the governments responding to to this issue? Um, are they receptive? Are they unreceptive? We are still at the beginning. Right. Um, it's actually a, a sort of emerging issue that was uh, noticed just you know, maybe a couple of years ago, by for the first time in. And, uh, but, you know, as you know, it, it can get out of control very Basically. easily. Uh, and uh, so if, if the business is good, that's it. They, you start, they already start placing standing orders with the local communities. We can buy as many Jaguars you can bring. So imagine the, the effect. In a few years, you can destroy entire population. So our work, again, is to understand exactly who does what and how and then find local partners willing to no government partners who yeah. willing to do something. So sad, such a beautiful animal. I mean, it's got to gut you as someone that's so connected Incredible. to these animals. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, what can people do? I mean, again, we were talking about their first reaction. Okay, let's send money to combat the poachers. How can they learn more from you guys and, and yeah. where they can direct their attention and, and maybe uh, assets? Of course. I mean, our website is, you know, Earth League International. It, they can find a lot of information. They can also understand why it's important to, at the same time, yes, it's important to support anti-poaching activities, but at the same time, you have to support also anti-trafficking activities because anti-poaching, with anti-poaching, you basically buy time. It's a sort of a band-aid, right? At the same time, you have to go to the core of the problem, which is the traffic inside. And not even the demand, because the demand consumers, I mean, awareness is a long-term process. What we need multi-generational is multi-generational. Multi-generational. You need yeah, a multi-generational. 
You need a full generational change in Asia. Nothing will happen before before that. But many speeches, uh, they don't have that time. Right. We're talking about five, ten years. Paquita, I mean, you... Paquita, we're talking about six months. Exactly. So it's uh, it's we need to act now, and that's why it's very important to do also anti-trafficking and go after the real big bad guys. Um, and of course, people can help us and help the cause on social media, specifically for Sea of Shadows and the Vaquita situation in Mexico, marine life. We are, there is an international impact campaign. We are, we are taking this film everywhere. We, we, we screened the film in the UN, at the UN in Geneva, UN in New York, at the Mexican Senate. We are really pressuring the Mexican and Chinese governments to do more. Right. And basically they have to do two things, not a hundred. The first one is to protect the vaquita in the sea, so zero tolerance with illegal fishing, and the second one is to go after the Chinese traffickers in Mexico. That's super important. Right, and how, how are they receiving it so far? I think the, the screening that was in uh, some of the Mexican administration was there actually the ambassador to Mexico was uh, in the screening. So. Correct. There's some hope. Um, at the new administration is not an... Is, is, I don't think they are so environmentalist. I mean, they, they, so that's why it's very important to explain it is not just about environment, it's about crime. Right. Every time I go around them and I, I, you know, they invite me to speak here and there and I talk about environmental crime, the first thing I say is that please forget the first word. Please forget environmental. It's crime with capital C. Yes, with environmental consequences, socioeconomical consequences, but it's crime. And if you don't treat it like that, if you treat it as an environmental problem, you will lose, and the bad guys will always be ahead of you. And I hope the new Mexican administration will get that part. I mean, it's very important. I hope so, too. Thanks for the work that you're doing, man. It's always great to chat with you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening, guys. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe and leave a quick review on iTunes. Suggest it to a friend who could use a little travel inspiration. If you have a travel question or suggestion on someone I should chat with, just hit me up on my social channels at Charles Thorpe and at Adventure Podcast. New episodes will be dropping every Friday, so keep checking in for the next. Until then, safe travels. Conversations were recorded at Smile Radio, located in Smile to Go at the Freehand Hotel. 